Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And Peyton Jones. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by... MoGive. Pete, have you been waiting to get your church started with online giving? Why is it that just saying the name MoGive makes me laugh? I don't know, but this is the time to give Mo, Pete. Give Mo. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention this. My favorite bit in last month's, one of last month's commercials was when you go, this isn't the month of November, it's the month of Movember. <laughs> oh, man, you stole my bit. I was just about to say it. It's too. not Mo. It's not Mo. What are you going to say? It's, I, I don't even know it's how It's Mo you, December. It's, yeah, it's, it's Mo. De- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. it's Mo November. Now we that got Mo. It's just it's December, but it's Mo. We need Mo, like giving Mo. Now, now that we've ruined their commercial, why don't you go ahead and start it all over again? Their commercial. All right. Yeah, you left me hanging on that. Have you been waiting to get your church started with online giving? Uh, as a matter of fact, Peyton, I have been waiting. Well, Pete Mitchell, dang it, stop waiting. Okay. <laughs> that was easy. Commercial's done. <laughs> Okay, well, let me ask you this question, Pete. Have you also been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder like a stinking idiot? I have been. Stinking thinking, we like to call it. Knock that off now, mister. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because a better solution is here now. It's called... It's called Mogil. 
Wow, you just totally blew out your mic, man. That was that was something. Was that too much? That really was. So, uh, but but I can't remember. Uh, how do you spell it again? Is this even a commercial anymore? Yes. M O G I It's an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. And don't forget, ungrowing ones too. Go to <laughs> mogit.com forward slash church to learn mo. I love it, That's man. Mogive.com forward slash choit. That's so funny. You know, I, I really think that they should feel um, encouraged by the fact that that they actually only pay for a 30-second spot, but we tend to give them about a good solid two, two and a half minutes every time. <laughs> and it doesn't get old every time. I, I, I keep thinking to myself, give me some new material. We should write our own, Pete, like our own MoGive commercial. I think you can go ahead and do that. It's not like I really want to take the time to write a new commercial. But you know what I, I do enjoy? better to do. I, I enjoy the tweets from people who keep like tweeting and then they'll leave, like even put MoGive in their tweet, their uh, their handle so that MoGive gets it. I'm only signing up because of the song. I'm only signing up because of Peyton singing the song. Absolutely, man. And and they actually sing in their text. They like spell it out like the like the tweet is singing. So we got singing tweets. That are there, you can just tell they're like typing with their fingers, but they're singing with their hearts. <laughs> See, they actually got more than just a commercial from us, they got a jingle because they didn't have a jingle. We gave this yeah. to them, yeah. And you know, the, the cool thing is, is we actually believe in these guys, we know them, at least I do. You know, um, you can get in touch with them, you'll probably be contacted by a guy named Kent uh, Woodyard, who's our front end guy who works with church planners. Great guy. And, uh, yeah, looking, looking forward to hearing your guys' uh, stories, how that goes, especially because we're coming up to the end of the year, and you got to be thinking about that. So. so before we get to our, our general smack talk that we actually enjoy so much, why don't you fill everyone in on what this week's topic is going to be? So this week's topic is hardwiring the DNA of your church. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you gonna do when the Church Planner Podcast runs wild on you? You know, I gotta wonder, the the guy that we got to do the Hulk Hogan uh, impersonation, because obviously it's not actually Hulk Hogan, what do you think he was thinking? Huh? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> what do you think he was thinking? And by the way, that's not really Yoda. Uh, at the beginning, saying that this week's podcast is... Sponsored. And that's not Batman? Don't tell me that's not Batman. I, it's actually Batman. That, that okay. uh, You get to pick which one. I don't know if that was Michael Keaton, um, Christian Bale. I don't remember which Batman that was. but uh, I am one. Batman. But here's, here's my thinking. What do you think crossed that guy's mind when he's like, I got to say, what you going to do when the Church Planner podcast runs wild on you? Like, <laughs> What do you think was going through his head? I think he was actually happy that someone finally like <laughs> contacted him and said, Hey, can you do a Hulk Hogan voice for us? Cause I, you know, the guy's sitting around like feeling like he has all this talent. If the world would just knock on his door, you know? And you know, the only reason why we have it is because of Barry. It is because of Barry. You Barry and I is... would not have picked Hulk Hogan. No, no, definitely not. The smack talk. And I guess it's like the smackdown. Is that, is that like a, 
a phrase in wrestling. I'm not a WWE fan. I mean, back when I was growing up, it was WWF. I don't know what happened to the F, but now it's an E. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. I I remember back in the day, right? Like when wrestling was like you know, because it's it's for junior hires and Barry, right? So when I was young, I I remember watching like junk junkyard dog, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Hulk Hogan, and uh, what's funny is, you know, I live in California, and so Hulk Hogan was, uh, he was calling this this radio station called K-Rock, and one morning I'm getting ready to go to school, and he calls in, and or they call him, and he doesn't realize he's live, and he's just talking like a normal dude, and they're like, hey, uh, Hulk? And he's like, yeah, and they're like, you're on right now, and he goes, oh, oh I am? Oh, man, I like so didn't know that. Oh, yeah, Hulksters, you know, and he starts like, it was so cool. I remember uh, growing up in San Francisco, there was a station. Gosh, you know, I don't even, cause I, I don't even remember which one it was because I used to listen to KMEL, which was, uh, you know, your rap hip hop station. And then they, they had a station on there. That's called, where the, the romance began. Exactly. I got the power. And they also had a station called X100. But that only lasted for like a year and a half. So I don't remember which station it was. It was one of the ones. And I loved morning shows. I mean, that was actually... I. I studied film in college because film is where the, the cool kids hung out, but I originally went for radio. I think that's why I like this podcast so much. I mean, that's I loved morning shows. I still do love morning shows. I just don't listen to them because I don't get up in time. <laughs> but um, they had uh, Joe Montana would call in every week, you know, from the 49ers, and he would do like this weekly thing on, on Fridays. And then there was some song that came out. I don't remember what, what it was. It was probably like Baby Got Back or something like that. And uh, he called in because he wanted to request it because one of his friends said, hey, um, you know, have you heard that 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 song? And so they, the DJs were so funny because they're like, Joe Montana's got a weekly, you know, interview with us. But he called in on the request line to ask us to play the song. Like he called in on the regular request line like everybody else. And they're like, he called in on the request line. He could have just called, but he didn't feel like, you know. I can call in because I got a I got a, a backdoor number to the you know the the main booth, so I always remember that. That's awesome. I always remember that. Yeah, you know, um, I, if it weren't for podcasting, Pete, I don't think they'd ever let us on the radio, man. Oh, I know they wouldn't let us on the radio. They wouldn't let me on the radio. But uh, you know, one thing I did want to talk about in our, our smack talk time is uh, we have not addressed this because we did last week's uh, podcast, the one that we did on Ferguson. We did it uh, earlier than we normally do. And so... Yeah, because of Thanksgiving and all. Yeah. And so you and I didn't get a chance to comment on the new Star Wars trailer, which, let's face it, that's all we really care about right now is uh, the next Star Wars movie. So... Yeah, you know, I when you first asked me, what's the topic today? I'm like, Star Wars trailer? <laughs> <laughs> just an hour of that i think would be good it's you know, dissected and, and, frame by frame absolutely and and i'm i just all of our listeners man maybe maybe give us a tweet or give us a heads up i'm trying to talk pete right now into doing a star wars uh podcast and i really really want for uh like that would just make my year where every week we talk about star wars come I, on pete one year in the run-up to the movie I was watching a video right before we got on this podcast of uh, Stephen Colbert did his his little take on this new Star Wars trailer. Did you see that? No. 
<laughs> he was hilarious, man. <laughs> this is coming right on the heels of Ferguson. So I, I'm going to share it, but I'm sharing it from the standpoint of this is what Stephen Colbert said. He, um, you know, because the I very don't know if you can pull it off, like you may, you may no. want to leave it to Stephen Colbert, man. No, but I think it's hilarious what he said because he was like the very first scene, obviously in the Star Wars trailer, starts out with a a black guy in a, a stormtrooper uh, outfit, and so he goes and he pulls up, you know, pictures of uh, Jawas, and he goes, "Just so you Jawas know, next time you get pulled over, it's not a racist thing because <laughs> there's a black guy in that stormtrooper suit." And then and then he goes, but having that hoodie doesn't help any. Hoodie? Who had a hoodie? The Jawas. Don't you remember the Jawas? That oh, was where oh, the yeah. hoodie Here's is. a piece of Star Wars trivia. The sand people, they never travel side by in side. single file. No, they always travel single file to hide their okay, numbers. Okay, I blew that. But And they always uh, always travel in, in numbers or packs or I don't remember. Anyways. <laughs> Great trivia, sucky Star Wars podcast. I'm I'm not saying we would be like total geeks on it, but we we definitely be idiots, right? But here's the thing: Um, the Sand People, the way they got that sound effect was the guy got donkey's brain. Now picture the Sand People; it's donkeys. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that sound coming. That's a donkey, dude. I dig it. I dig it. So I think the more important question is, um, what do you think of the new Star Wars lightsaber that we saw in that like 10 seconds? Okay. Now, this is the thing is you and I, this is why we'd be so good on a Star Wars podcast, because we disagree about so many things on it. As much as we both love Star Wars, there's kind of like your Nana Star Wars and, you know, your daddy's Star Wars. Of course, you have the Nana Star Wars. But what are you talking about? I, don't, I just made it up, but it's just because we're going to be on opposite sides of this. I thought that lightsaber was freaking cool, man. I thought that was just, I love it when they do stuff to lightsabers. I see. I don't. I thought, I thought Darth Maul's like double ended lightsaber was like, seriously. I mean, now you got that. And then, you know, Luke, he started watching uh, Star Wars Rebels. It's the new cartoon that Disney's yeah. putting out based on yeah. the Star Wars world. And uh, they've got a a Sith named the Inquisitor on that. And he's got a lightsaber that is kind of like Darth Maul's and that it's uh, double-ended. But it's also circular. And it basically just spins around in a circle. Yeah. Like that's his lightsaber. It just like he doesn't have to do anything. He just holds it and it spins it. And it's kind of like it's like a giant lightsaber fan. Yeah, video, like, and I'm like, this is just stupid. Like seriously, what happened to just okay. good old lightsaber battles? Well, because they're evil, right? Like a Jedi has honor. Okay, think of the Jedi, right? He's like he's got this bushido code, right? Going back to like the the Asian, you know, mythology. The Sith are like ninjas. They have no honor. They break all the rules. There's no it's Bushido. Stupid. It has nothing to do with no, honor. Dude, it's, it's just, it's it's these, you know, it's George Lucas going, oh, I got a better idea. This is what I'm going to do. And it's stupid. It's stupid. Well, <clears throat> it's not, though, because what it is is it's it's an evil guy. When you first saw Darth Maul, you're like, I'm hey, down with them having two lightsabers and doing like those, those really awesome, uh, fights were like Anakin and one of those prequels that I still hold never existed. You know, he ends yeah. up taking uh, Obi-Wan's lightsaber. 
He takes his Obi-Wan's lightsaber, his own lightsaber, and he fights whatever the dude's name is. I don't even remember anymore. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty cool. I mean, that's just yeah. a lot of lightsabers flinging around all at once. But to have yeah. these stupid ones, I think it's stupid. So the hilt, the laser hilt that was in the Star Wars trailer, incredibly stupid. You would so cut off your own hand if you had that on your, your lightsaber. You would. You would. But, I mean, if you're a Sith, right, you're going to lose that hand anyways. And so here, here's the deal, right? Um, it, it's kind of like when you see a Sith, you're like, yeah, you don't fight fair. And the Sith always fight have. Thing? No, you, you have a stupid lightsaber. Ah, you're getting really fired up. <laughs> really it's not about fighting. Like, you're trying to turn this into some mystical good versus. No, it's stupid. It Dude, the lightsaber is always, if you look at it, it's green and, and, and um, blue for the good guys, right? Those are nice colors, serene, peaceful. When you first see Darth Vader's got a red lightsaber, you're like, dude, of course that's evil. So the lightsabers always kind of embody the sense this guy's evil. So when you see Darth Maul, he's not fighting fair. When you see all the other guys, they've taken a weapon that's kind of like a samurai sword. And they've just, they basically like attached a gun to it, right? They're not fighting fair. The, you always have the Sith versus a Jedi, the sense that the the Sith overpower and don't play by the rules. And that's what makes it intriguing is the Jedi's like, hey, I'm not going to initiate that. I'll defend myself. If I got to grab two lightsabers, I will. But that's not the way of the Jedi. That's not typically what we do. And those dynamics, I, I got to disagree with you, man. I, I think it's hot. I think it's incredibly stupid, and I think the reasoning that you just gave is is proof that you need to stick to church planning as your main day job. Because being a commentator on Star Wars, it's not appropriate for you. I'm just throwing that out there. Yes, because here's the deal. This is how the Sith speak. They speak in absolutes. And uh, I myself, being a Jedi, I think we've established who the Sith is and who the Jedi is in the room right now. Um, yes, of course. Uh, Sith always think in absolutes. <laughs> and what's up with the rebels making everyone a general? They made That's a good solo point. general. They made, uh, Lando Calrissian. I mean, it was like they're handing them out like Cracker Jacks. I would hate to be in the rebels because okay. it's like, oh, great. I get to fly an X-Wing. Well, I'll never what, be a Jedi. What, what was the chick like? Remember when you were a kid? Like, do you remember, like, okay, back in the day, there was like Jimco. They didn't have Target and stuff. And you got your Star Wars figures. Do you, do you remember, like, you'd go into the store and there'd be all the pegs and there'd be all these packages of, like, General Monmothma? Remember the chick general? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a figure of her because you would go back and, like, there would be, like, one pack per case of, like, Boba Fett or whatever. And he was cool. But, like, there would be a billion, I don't know what they're thinking. There was like a billion rebel snow troops and a billion like General Mon Mothma. And you're like, these figures suck, right? Like no one wanted to be those figures when you're playing Star Wars. And I had her, but I remember just being kind of bummed. Like, yeah, she's a Star Wars figure, but it's a chick, man. And she's wearing goofy clothes. And there were always like those like bum steer action figures. See, the, the bigger question that I got about the whole Star Wars world, what in the world, and, and no one has ever given me a good explanation of this, what in the world is up with the Stormtrooper outfit? As a kid, I assumed Stormtroopers were robots. I never assumed that there were people in them. Because why in the world would you wear armor that literally does not do a thing to protect you from any 
sort of laser shot. None. Nothing. Every single shot. I mean, you get hit, you're dead. And you got this helmet on, which means it's screwing up your peripheral vision. You can't hear right. I mean, I had to assume that they were robots because no one would wear this crap in real life. It's plastic. It goes back. It goes back to Lucas when he made THX one one three eight. He he knew like he was onto something there. He was like, when you make when you want a bad guy to be mysterious, you cover their faces. Like imagine if the stormtroopers or dude was with like bicycle, you know, futuristic bicycle helmets. It would be so dumb. You'd be like, those guys are all dweebs, right? I mean, it's bad enough, right? <laughs> we got the guy, you know, who in the in the control room scene with the trash compactor, when C three PO and R two D two in there, he bumps his head, right on on the on the door as he comes through. You know that shot, right? Oh, I yeah, I've seen it, but I, I never really paid attention to it. Yeah, and so he bumps his head on the. Uh, in fact, they they pay tribute to that. Um, I don't remember on something. Where, yeah, where, I saw it recently. They paid tribute. Yeah, yeah, to they it. paid tribute in the prequels. Where uh, I can't remember what it was, but somebody bumps her head. And I think it was Django or something. But uh, but anyways, um, yeah. I mean, it's the mysterious quality. It just makes them kind of more bad to the bone to have their face covered. Okay, you know, then why would you wear all that on the Death Star? No, like no, if no. you're working on the Death Star, why are you in this full regalia when you can't do anything? Like well, there was part, no one else on there. Too, part of it too is, and this goes back to the the whole question people are asking about why was a black dude in a stormtrooper outfit? And that's not like that's not being racist or anything, because the idea in the Star Wars lore, like the background, you know, there's been keep in mind there's been all these books. And one of the things that the writers, which that were they all by, say, we're not like this is we're, we're just basically pimping ourselves out and selling books. This does not necessarily mean that we need to hold any of this. Should we decide to do another movie? Well, OK, but uh, every book says that every book. No, 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 no. Now, listen, that's not true. That here's, is true. Here's what, it's not true. Lucas it has true. to approve. Every just hear me out. Lucas has to approve every single thing that's been in the canon. He has to rubber stamp it. What they've done with the movie, though, is they came in the movie and they said, "Look, um, we're not going to um, pay any attention to that because we need freedom with the movie, not to listen to anything the books say." So in that in that sense, you're right. But it, before this new movie, now it was always that Lucas had to approve because he wanted the canon to be kept pure of Star Wars lore. So the books have all been rubber stamped. The storylines, the things he's going to say have all been rubber stamped. But now they're not holding to that, which is fair. But anyways, going back. So here's they the thing. They still all say we don't have to hold to any of this. Absolutely. Well, in the movie, they don't now. <clears throat> so what they've, what they've done is J.J. Abrams said, look, I need you know creative license to not be, be holding all that stuff. So everybody kind of, you know, um, get off my back. I'm making the sequel to the movies. It's like those never existed. But in those books, anyways, what what's happening, you can kind of see it, even if you just go by the movies, that there's a galactic racism that is humans only. So not color your skin, but human beings. That human beings are um, the empire is into. So going back to your question about the, the helmet and the uniform, it's uniformity right it's it's what any army does 
when they're an empire. It's okay, unique. but they have plenty of people in the Imperial Army who are not wearing stupid plastic helmets and outfits that when you get shot, you still die. They're just wearing a uniform. Sure, but it's this idea that we are, you know, they start with clones, right? They're clones, but then um, a lot of the clones die. And so then they start taking humans into the army and they become stormtroopers. So clone troopers and stormtroopers aren't necessarily the same. And then as they go on, um, they, they will not take aliens into the stormtrooper. They're, they're humans only. So it's a type of racism. So the, the question becomes, <laughs> is it a type a, of racism? It is. Yeah, it's like a galactic racism. Like oh, for that's species. Yeah, it's true. It's true. 100% true, man. You ever seen a, a, a hammerhead stormtrooper or an Ewok or a Wookiee stormtrooper? No, you won't. It's all humans. I think and it's... that's Lucas. That's straight from Lucas. Oh, man, I almost went someplace. I'm glad I stopped. <laughs> but, yeah, okay. I think it's still incredibly stupid. I mean, it, it is. The, the, there's no denying it. It's stupid. All right, Pete Mitchell, what did you like from the trailer? Because so far, uh, Millennium Falcon. That was it. Like. What'd you like? Millennium Falcon. That's it. That's the only thing that that was cool. <laughs> it's gonna be a miserable movie for you, my friend. Dude. Okay. Well, that and the X-wing skim in the water. That was cool. I'm down with that. Yeah. But the the rolling robot, the rolling R2D2. Come on. Just stop. It was kind of like you and I talked about this. Why in the world did Lucas give R2-D2 little jets that allow him to fly in the prequels? That doesn't make any sense. He never had them in the movies that come later. <laughs> but you're going to put it on him in the prequels. Well, what's really stupid. funny about all the stuff he does in the prequels and then in the main films, it's like he forgot that he could do all that, you know? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's what he could do, you know? And he can shake. You can kind of wobble on his so, two feet. I'm just saying it. I don't know, man. So I, I'm looking forward to Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. In fact, I told you that we ought to have a, a church planner podcast viewing of Star Wars. We ought to get everybody who listens to the podcast to all go to the same theater. So everyone flies out to Southern California and we'll go to the movies. We go catch like a midnight showing when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. You I got mean, a year you know, to prepare. I We'll we'll tie other, that other in with church planning podcast might might you know go to a church planning conference, but well, not this we'll, one. Well, why don't we tie it in with our conference? <laughs> hey, there's the date of our next conference, December two thousand fifteen. December fifteenth, two thousand fifteen. There we go. There we go. Is that actually the day the film's coming out? I you know now that I said it, I don't know. I thought it was, but I could be wrong. Yeah, don't be wrong about that, Pete. I do not want this podcast to be the source of misinformation about Star Wars. <laughs> Cutting it close there, mister. You're on thin ice. Yeah, I don't know that I'm too worried about it, but whatever. So, you know, we don't joke around. I mean, we we talk smack talk, but you know, Pete, we almost we almost need to take this out of the smack talk section. This is Star Wars we're talking. You can't talk smack talk about Star Wars. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't even want to address it anymore, but you know, I'm right. You're wrong. That's all that's Man, important. That, dude, it, it fully, it polarized you. I mean, I've never seen you so upset about anything. Pete. It's just when it's stupid stuff and then you got people defending stupid stuff like you, you're defending stupid stuff. That's not yeah, a good lightsaber. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you, let's face it. That's the only part that really your feelings. <laughs> Dude. Let go of your anger. There's I, good in you. I can feel it. I put on Facebook, someone did a uh, 
a George Lucas version of it that was absolutely comedy because they start off with the scene from Spaceballs, you know, about comb in the desert. Yeah. And then they go to um, when when they have the robot that's rolling, they got the song. You keep on rolling. And like all I can think of is this that song going through my head as I as I look at that scene. And then at the very last scene, they have Jar Jar Binks come back come up and he goes, I'm back. I I have to say, yeah, that was funny. That was really funny. But I have to say, as far as trailers go, I was underwhelmed by the trailer. I actually felt that the trailer was not a good trailer. There was no continuity. There was no momentum. I mean, from the first shot where it showed the guy with, um, you know, the storm. Terrified. Guy, that was a great shot of him terrified. Like he's about ready to die. That, that yeah. I will say was a great shot. No, see, no, I didn't like that. I was like, ah. and then, it, and then it immediately cuts from that to the little spinning ball guy. And you're just like, what, what is this? Like, you know, there's no continuity. There's no, Charlie has a guy who makes like, tons of trailers that's what he does for a living so if you like all he does all the sony spider-man trailers um he makes them there's a guy is one of his elders so if you want to get in i'm just saying might want to go to charlie's church but uh anyways the uh as i'm watching i'm like this is not a good trailer but i agree the coolest shot in there my two favorite shots you will not agree with my second one my first favorite shot in there was the millennium falcon yeah. That was stinking cool. That was cool. We one was excellent as well because you got a sense of like, this is, this is the franchise. Like this is the embodiment of the franchise, but with the new technology, you've done it how it always should have been done. And then, but then the, the scene with the Sith Lord, <clears throat> we haven't seen his face yet, but I liked, I liked his, um, he was very Darth Maul esque to me. And I like that. I like, you know, the way he was staggering as if he had just been hurt or something. It just looked like, okay, we're, we're in for some good, good lightsaber fights here. Some, some guys getting wounded, guys getting their butts kicked. I like this. This looks good. Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty cool too, but um, it'll be interesting so, to see what happens. I, I liked the trailer, but I understood what they were doing with the trailer. They were basically, this is the first one we're a year out. And so we're not going to give you more of this story. Like for them, it's a better buildup if they sure. give you just literally scenes. I mean, like seconds of scenes. And yeah. then later they'll start releasing more and more trailers and then we'll get more and more of the story. It's basically what we would call a, a product launch. They're doing a product launch for a movie. And yeah. I guess it's already had like 40 million views. And it's been out yeah. a week and a half, a week, but whatever you, it's been. If you look at, for example, as far as trailers, imagine Guardians of the Galaxy now. That was a masterful, not only masterpiece of a film, but a masterful trailer. Because if if you had never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy and you never wanted to see a movie called Guardians of the Galaxy, by the end of that trailer, what they tapped into, they they so masterfully mixed it that you knew it was going to get people to go see it. It was that good. You With know, the hooked on the feeling song, all that stuff. Interestingly enough, I um, don't remember the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy, but that was a great movie. In fact, it's yeah. one of the few movies that I bought. Uh, it's I've got the it criminal lineup, you know, like when they when they have the the yeah. lineup, you know. I remember it's that. the criminal lineup, and they they introduce each character that way, and it's done with the with the comedy. You know, um, they start playing the the old nineteen seventies eighties. You know, the the ultimate mixtape. 
And uh, you just, yeah, it's just well done. But anyways, we better get on to our topic, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, perhaps we should. Great, Scott. Done. We need another it's podcast. time for this week's topic. So now that we're done with Star Wars and um, and we're a half hour into the show, of course, uh, what is today's topic again? And uh, So it's hardwiring <laughs> your church with the Star Wars DNA. I was going to say, to be a, a lover of Star Wars. <laughs> How do you make sure that they're Jedi and that they never, ever turn to the to the Sith, to the dark side? I think that should be um, perhaps a, a three-part series uh, that every church should have. Absolutely. And then, you know, I'm, we will come out with a prequel on this that people hate and probably <laughs> erase. But, yeah, so what we want to talk about is um, your church plan needs to be uh needs to be what god's called it to be when god calls a guy or or a couple sorry i didn't mean to be sexist there when god calls a a couple to plant a church a group of people here's the deal um he doesn't just say hey uh just plant something right you usually have an idea even even when i planted my first church i was like i want to plant a church that's for lost people. And so often in the church, we do things that are for Christians. And too many churches right now are doing church just for Christians. And you'll hear people, they'll be like, hey, well, hey, man, why do we need church plants when, you know, we don't have churches that are taking care of the Christians? Well, you know, that's cool and all, but it's Paul kind of gives the the sneak peek into the fact that, hey, I've been called to the Gentiles, Right. I'm not called to people that love the Torah. I'm not called to people who are thinking religiously already. I am called to go onto the outskirts of the fringe of and and pioneer amongst the pagan outbacks, you know, spiritual outbacks of the world, the frontiers. That's where I'm called. And so that's what Paul does. And he had to, in many ways, ditch the trappings of you know, being a Pharisee, being a very religious person, and he had to get get out there. And so one of the challenges that church planners face is as they're contextualizing their culture, in other words, contextualizing your culture means how do I communicate the gospel in a way that the people in front of me will get? So, um, you know, you, you don't use a lot of the same words. You don't approach people, uh, Christians. You don't preach to non-Christians the same way you preach to Christians. You um you might use a guardian of the galaxy quote because you know they're all watching that right maybe people in your church are too holy to watch that so how do you how do you plant a church that in its DNA um it it has this vision that's unique and different how do you bring the Christians that are with you along because your greatest obstacle to actually putting the DNA into the church that needs to be there. Are, are often the Christians. I mean, I hate to say it, but it often is that they have brought their baggage with them, what church should be. And so you've got to constantly sow for visitors, for lost people that walk through the door, and for the Christians that are with you, what the church actually is, what it's there to do, and how it's going to be different. And that is a nonstop job. Hmm. It is a nonstop job, and it's... Um... I mean, we've talked about having, uh, you know, your your core DNA as such a vital piece, and it's interesting. the The more 
you and I talk to people online and uh, like, especially with your, your book, um, church zero. Cha-ching. We can throw that in there, even though I'm not the author of it, we'll still add in a little, uh, cha-ching there. Um, and you know, we've seen how, uh, we, we've seen people basically who have such a different opinion of how church should be than, um, then like how you talk about it in the book, fist leadership, uh, you know, uh, team leadership, reaching the lost, uh, not necessarily doing it in a church building, though. I mean, you can do it in a church building. It doesn't I mean, that that's not the point. Right. Um, yeah. And we've seen just how some people get really bent out of shape when it's like church does not fit their ideal of it. So the potential for hijacking of the vision that God has given you for reaching the community that he's called you to, um, I think it's huge. I think it's really, I think it's one of those things that you really have to guard against and uh, be aware that it's, and it's not always going to come as adversarial as like you and I will sometimes experience with people. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it, absolutely. In fact, I would say most of the time it's not going to come that way. It's, it's going to come no. with like, Hey, don't you think we should do this? Hey, don't you think we should do that? And it'll be like minor things that just continually <laughs> twist, twist, twist until eventually you look like every other church out there, which yeah. if that's what God's called you to great, but I'm talking about if that's yeah. not what God's called you to. Absolutely. And and so, you know, there's three things that if if we were in the church growth movement, they'd be like, there's three things you need. You need good parking, you need a good speaker, and you need a good youth group and children's ministry. Those three things are the recipe for church growth. So if you're sitting there right now and you're like, finally, someone told me those are what the church growth experts, it's, you know, that's what they spend all the time. That's what you got to do. You focus on those three areas. Well, Here's the deal is for me, like I'll always have people go, Hey, you know, do we have a, I had an email this week or, you know, does your church have a youth um, group? And what it is, is it's probably a guy in the area or a guy who's gotten cheesed off with another church. And, and I'm not trying to be, it might just be a dude who wants to come to our church, wants to know if we have a youth group, but more often than not, it's, it's the case of someone shopping and they want to know, does the church have this? Well, our church is caught up in reaching the lost and using all the resources we have to just reach the people in our community that we don't have the manpower right now to really focus on youth group, nor do we have people that have come forward and said, that's what I really want to do. And yet I know that that's one of the keys to quote unquote church growth, but it, it would, in order to focus on that, we'd have to stop the other stuff we're doing, which has been very effective. And so in those, in those times, you have to know, what are we here to do? And so the first step to hardwiring the DNA is you need to know what is the code? What is the DNA that God has called? What should my church look like? What is the genetic structure of this church? We're, we're birthing it. We're planting it. What does God want us to do? And so for us, everything bows to making God accessible. It's like a John the Baptist type of ministry. It's frontline. It's, you know, make a highway to God that that's, by the way, um, when John the Baptist came on the scene, right. Um, people flocked to him because his message was, and, and Matthew brings up all the, all the new Testament, um, gospels that, that talk about him, bring up that he was in fulfillment to the passage about 
um, make straight the, 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 make, make straight the, the path to the Lord. Um, you know, the, the make straight the ways that, that is an image of a highway, right? Like not a, a tangled path, but he's saying, make it straight, make a highway, uh, make a, 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 almost like a freeway, like something like a, the Autobahn, a place where you can just speed down the road to God. And he's talking about the kingdom of God is coming. So what he's saying is get on the highway. Because they had highways back then, not not for motor cars, but like straight roads. Um, it's what the Romans built. But they had highways, main thoroughfares. And he's saying God's coming down that road, that main thoroughfare to meet you, uh, as many people as he can. But you got to get on the road. That was John the Baptist's message. And so for for and and so he's out there with the people. He's not in the church. He's out there front line. People are flocking. He's taking all of the obstacles out of the way. He's not telling them that you know you got to be a really good Pharisee or you got to not eat pork. Or he just tell them repent. Just turn to God. Turn. That's it. Turn around and embrace God. He doesn't put a bunch of rules on him. He just literally he he preaches this open way to God, and that's that was an affront. To the religious people, and so one of the things that that we do at Refuge, it's it's he's kind of the embodiment of our philosophy is that the one thing we want people to know is there is a highway to God. You need to get on it because He's coming to meet you from the other direction, and we want you. I always use this phrase: want you to have a head-on collision with Him. And so people get that when they come in. That everything bounds to that. Why do we cook breakfast? To help create a place where people can get on the road to meet God. Why do we meet outside when we meet out? So that it's a highway to God. It's it's out on the front lines. It's to help lost people know Jesus. Everything bows to that ultimately. Hmm. You would agree, right? I mean, you come to our church. That's that's kind of the the feel, right? Yeah, and I mean, interestingly enough, though, that's one of the things that you've had to um, protect because we've had people who've been there for. I mean, the beginning practically. And uh, I just remember, you know, when we were looking at moving into the gas station, you mentioning, you know, someone said, hey, um, I think this might be moving backwards for us. And you made the comment on the podcast. Well, it just depends on what your uh, what your goal is. If your goal is to have a megachurch, then, yeah, moving into a gas station is moving backwards. But if it's going deeper into the community, then this is the right move to make. But you've had to protect that, that vision. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't, um, as far as vision casting, I guess really that's what we're talking about. But, but that DNA, it, it needs, regardless of, of what your church looks like. See, your DNA, um, if you grow really big, you've still got the same DNA. A, a large church can have the same DNA as a small church. You just need to know what is my DNA and how does that scale up as we grow. So for example, um, for us, we're a church planting church. So we probably won't become a ginormous mega church. Um, we may get bigger as a hub. We may need to um, have a bigger base. Uh, most sending churches like Antioch, Jerusalem, um, and Ephesus need to have a, a, a larger base because you're always breaking people off and sending them out. And so you're, you're, you're a hub, you're accomplishing a little bit more, but like, you know, Rick Warren, he's, he's incessantly, if you, if you look at what Rick Warren did um, with purpose driven church, 
what he's talking about there is DNA. He's actually saying, this is our DNA and we are purpose driven. What was our purpose? His purpose was to take people from being lost and to make them into missionaries. That's his whole thing from start to finish. And he uses the baseball diamond. And, and a lot of people saw Rick as a church growth guy. He's not really. Rick has always been a sending discipleship and evangelism guy. Um, the fact his church blew up and exploded is because he was so good at doing these other things. And, you know, we, we sat and talked to him. That dude's always contemporary. Whatever people are talking about, this dude's been doing it like 30 years. But he is very, very protective and very jealous over his DNA. And so Purpose Driven Church became a book about the DNA that he hardwired into that church. And everything ultimately um, served that DNA. And I've only realized as I'm talking right now because it's spring into mind. It's just, just kind of reminding me. Uh, if you go back and look at that book, you'll see it actually is a book about the DNA. And so what he did is he would take everybody through to try to get them to understand that, look, if you aren't saved, you know, you're not even on the field yet. But once you are, we want to get you to first base. And then after that, we want to get you to second base. And he would take them through and he try to get them to understand that the end goal is to send you out from here doing what I've done. That That's dynamite. So he's not the guy that wanted to keep everyone there. He wanted to send them out back into the world. So that's the DNA. And so um, I said earlier that it is a full-time job. And so one of the areas that um, what, I, what When you say it's a full, what area is a full-time job? Yeah, the, the area of, of hardwiring your DNA um, or casting vision. See, one, one of the things is you may know your DNA, but how do you share that? with the people you're planting with. Yeah. And so if you go back to before you launch, we're talking about your core team. Um, you've, you've got, and I always tell guys this when I'm coaching them, I'm like, look, you have to have this written out. I always ask guys, I'll say, what do you want to do? And they'll be like, well, we want to plan a church that's contemporary and we want to have really good music. And, you know, we want it to almost kind of have like a hipster vibe. And so I'm like, you guys are going to fail. You know, like this is not, the church doesn't need, you know, the world doesn't need another church with a really cool logo, a hipster vibe and really good worship music. It just doesn't need that, right? Lost people aren't out there just going, if only someone would plant one of those in my neighborhood, I could get saved. You know, it's not, it's not a need. Um, what they need is they need people that are like, hey, we are going to love the crap out of this community and we are going to um, be like that sea that falls to the ground and dies to our own desires, our own ambitions. We're going to serve the lost around us. We're going to seek and save the lost. We are going to disciple people from unbelievers into missionaries, like Rick said. You know, that's what we're going to do. That's what the world needs. The world needs. Christians with a new DNA. You almost might say, Pete, a new breed of Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and a new breed of church. It, 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 it's what every, it's the buzz that everybody's talking about. Um, I love, you know, I'm not going to say who it is, but someone close to me um, who doesn't believe um, said that uh, you Christians have the most beautiful faith 
I have ever read about. And they, they had read like all kinds of books, Satanic Bible, you know, um, you know, the Hindu scriptures, all the Gnostic stuff. They had read it and they're like, the Christians have the best, um, by far ideals, the by far the best story. And the person's an atheist, but the person said, you know, um, what frustrates me and what actually really angers me, the reason I can't stand Christians is I want so badly to believe what your faith teaches, but none of you actually live it. And he doesn't mean none of you, none of you. Um, he could list off, he's listed off to me people that, you know, he's seen live it, that, that intrigue him. And he thinks I want that, what they have. But, but I think that, that just when I heard that, and they had read church zero and said, um, you know, if there were a church like that, I would go to it. Mm. And I think the world is hungry for a, a, a church with Jesus's DNA. We always joke about refuge Long Beach. It's a church Jesus would actually go to. And that's a really controversial thing to say, but I know he would go to it because its goal is to reach lost people. Its goal isn't to have a big bank account. Its goal isn't to move into a bigger building. Its goal, these are the goals that church planners often set. And so going back, when you've got a core team and you know your DNA is to, is to glorify Jesus, to, to, to seek and save the lost, to, 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 you know, all the things that we talked about, reach them, um, disciple them. How do you communicate that? And so what I always tell guys is it comes back to those mission statements. And this is where it starts. We've had a, done a whole podcast on mission statements, but it goes back to that because it has to be transferable. It has to be concepts and points that people repeat and have repeated like a mantra, right? And I remember we did um, um, in jump school, uh, I don't think we've, we've given out that that section in the dossier yet, but I've got a, a chapter um, of jump school that's all about the mantras that church planters ought to be telling their core teams, mantras that they beat into their people's heads. So one of them would be like, um, uh, you know, I said it last time I was at Refuge Long Beach, um, where I said, there's only three things that need to happen here. That's a mantra, right? Um, another one that I give is, um, what would the early church do? So when stuff goes wrong, stuff breaks. Why don't you um, tell them what are the three things? Cause I know we've talked about it before, but just remind them. Yeah. Yeah. So the three things would be something like, um, you know, like uh, no matter what happens, I always, I don't apologize that we suck. I laugh about it. And I, I always kind of joke tongue in cheek. It's my sense of humor. I always joke around about how we suck, you know, as, as if you came here for, Kind of like John the Baptist said, would you come out here to see a, a reed blown in the wind? You know, people in fancy dress, you know, th those guys are in palaces. And so I'm always kind of saying, hey, this is what we are, right? And I'm proud of it. I'm not, I'm not like apologizing. I just say, hey, three things need to happen here. And the, the, the irony is often these three things don't happen in churches that are fancy and polished. But I say, these are the three things we need to hear from God. God needs to hear from us. And we need to hear from each other. And that's that interactive part that I mentioned in Church Zero. Cha -ching! And it was very prevalent in the, the early church. And so for me, for us to say, hey, to be church, to have church, there's only three things that need to happen. And I and I people repeat those mantras. I hear people say to me, hey, only three things gotta happen, right? 
Um, same with, you know, when stuff goes wrong and my attitude used to be, I'd be all mad. Why didn't people check this sound system during the week? And why isn't anyone taking this seriously? When I was young, I used to get all cheesed off at stuff. And as, as I went on, I realized, well, none of that stuff, because, you know, when you're planting enough, you, you just realize stuff is always broken. Stuff is never working. People always do stuff last minute. You don't want that. And you can be like, Hey, we need to pursue excellence here. And you need to, you know, um, you know, you can you can drive people like a like a slave driver. Remember, they're volunteers, and they'll eventually turn on you for being like that. And what I ended up doing was, I was just like, hey, what would the early church do? And that way, I could focus back on those three things. I, we say that because we're like, hey, the early church didn't have sound systems. The early church didn't have slide projectors. You can either make a choice to get really cheesed off that it's broken, or you can go back to the early church and say, gosh, man, you know. Jesus had crowds of 5,000 following. He didn't have any of this stuff. Well, what did he do? I want that. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyways, so hardwiring your your people, it's, it's when I say it's a full-time job, it means you're always repeating stuff. You're saying, you're coming up with sayings and phrases that you're constantly saying your people. And I guess, Pete, it'd be, it'd be like this in a business, right? Isn't this kind of how businesses operate? They should. Um, I think most businesses don't do it, just like probably most churches and church plants don't do it. The constant reminding, the constant vision casting. Um, ironically, where you see it the most and done the most effectively is in network marketing companies. I yeah. I don't know why. Maybe because everybody's a volunteer and they just acknowledge it. Hey, everyone's a volunteer, so we got to continually cast the vision, cast the vision, cast the vision. But um, interesting. But you usually don't see it in businesses, and it should be. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and in, in Starbucks, man, I remember they would have things like, you know, remember um, we, we we're selling more than coffee. You know, we're selling uh, a drug. Experience. No, they would say, <laughs> yeah, they are selling a drug. We're selling a burnt drug, um, but we're, we're selling an experience. You know, they would say, um, you know, we're creating a third, third place atmosphere. You know, um, they, they had all these old mantras that would throw around and your manager could say to you, is that it? Are you creating a third place atmosphere right now? These were all things that, um, and I didn't get this from the business world. I've just been in ministry for two decades, man. It's like, I, you just learn like about people and how people work and, and how our priorities get off Jesus and how they get off the things that we ought to have our eyes on. And so for me, when I'm planting a church, I want my core team to scale up as the numbers grow. I want them to scale up with the right things. And so that way, when I plant out again, because I'm a, you know, I'm always wanting to break people off and plant out. I want that core team to already have in their DNA. That's why uh, the, the things they need to succeed in their next church plant. That's why when you first plant, it takes about three years. It's not a magic number. Jesus is three years training the disciples. Um, then he sends them out, and then they did. Now they've got that DNA, that Jesus DNA. He's had to untrain them, uh, unprogram, deprogram, reprogram them, and then they go out and they do their stuff. But now they are able to say, like Paul, imitate me. What you see in me, imitate this, pass this on, incorporate it in your life and give it out. And so Paul's talking about a DNA there, a way of thinking, a way of living, and that's what he wants. And so um, one of the one of the key areas, not only are you 
you know, bantering about these phrases and saying them whenever you get a chance. The key place and the most neglected place on a Sunday morning is the announcements. Um, I think we've talked about before that I suck at giving announcements, but to me, outside of the preaching, um, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like, it sounds weird. Like, outside of the preaching, well, what about the worship, right? Um, outside of the worship, I mean, is the worship more important than preaching? It's hard to tell, like, what's the most important part of a service. But what I can say is I used to just think that the announcements were the part where you just inform people about the crap that the church has got to do, right? And you, you kind of you, you, you bust their chops a bit for, you know, hey, you know, Sunday school still needs help, everybody. You know, if you guys could help out, you know, we may have to close a Sunday school. That's a horrible way to give announcements. Um, there's no vision in it. There's no. So if I were going out in the, the Sunday school, I'd be like, hey, look, guys, um, we uh, we believe that. Um, and so you're, you're going to not just give them the what you're going to give them the why. And the reason you give them the why is you're going to inspire them. And so I'd say something like, hey, um, you know, we have Sunday school. We don't need Sunday school. I mean, hey, you know, the early church didn't have it. Families worship together. We could totally do that. But we know that some of you moms in here, um, from sunup to sundown, you've got a kid hanging on you all the time, and you just want to worship the Lord. Just have that 20, 30 minutes to just worship the Lord. And, you know, we like to provide that, but I'm up here preaching, and other people are doing this. Hey, if you guys love kids, boom, 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 and then I'll talk about our policy, that our policy, hey, your kids are safe here. We CRB check you, um, boom, boom, boom. If you ever want to peek in, boom, boom, boom. And I, and I share the vision that, you know, we believe that kids, um, and we, we haven't had to do this because you know, our Sunday school is fine, but I would share and tell stories about kids that come to faith from the time they're young. I would inspire, I would use that to inspire them, not to drive them like cattle, hmm. you know? I get it. I get it. And I'm, unfortunately, a lot of times guys get up there and they, they crack the whip on people and every Sunday announcement time is like, oh, here's a time where they're going to tell us, you know, guys, you got to go to home groups or you got to serve the church needs help or you got to give. And it's just a downer, right? It's Debbie Downer. Wah, wah. You know, it's not, it's not enjoyable. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer. So um, there's an old like Homer Simpson cartoon, right? Where he's, he's, uh, He's cracking the whip on these sled dogs and he's going mush, mush. And, you know, and it just shows him like working hard, working hard. And they're foaming at the mouth and he's going up the hill, mush, mush, faster, faster. And he's cracking the whip on him. And then he's, you know, mush, mush across the stream, crack, cracking the whip. And then when they get to the, the, the fireside where they're going to sleep for the night, he goes, rest, rest. And he's still quack, cracking the whip on him. And when he sits down, all the wolves look at each other and just, you know, their do sled dogs, uh, sorry. They uh, turn and and they, they eat him. They basically just turn on him and, and attack him. And I think that, you know, uh, a lot of our ministers are trying to get people to do the work without hardwiring the DNA. And they're just becoming slave drivers. And so you've got to constantly be casting vision with your people and you've got to do that during your announcement time, even if it means you screw up your announcements 
people don't really know at the end of the time, uh, you know, is the food drive at 10 next Saturday or 11 next Saturday? You can have other ways you can use your website, but that hour right there, I mean, that um, little, I mean, hour figuratively, that little window of opportunity to give the announcements ought to be for you to say, hey, guys, um, this is why we do what we do. If we're doing a food drive, you tell them why. Always tell them the why. And that's part, that's a key part to hardwiring the DNA that every week they're getting the vision of what you're called to do as a church in doses. There's never a time they're not being reminded of some reason why you're doing what you're doing. You know, one thing that I'll, I'll tag into that, um, what you're talking about in marketing, I would refer to it as being authentic. So when you're doing announcements, if you're not worried about the show, right, you're not worried about the presentation, I got 30 seconds to crank through these three announcements, and then we got another 45 seconds to get through you know, this video over here. But you're basically leaving room for mistakes and to just be real. In marketing, we call that being authentic. And authentic right. tends to um, work way better than the polished professional. And not, not to say that that stuff's not important. Like There's a time and a place for it. And uh, like your website, if you've got a really bad website, you need to fix that immediately because yeah. people go there first before they show yep. up at your church. Yeah. And that totally. is where you want to have like the polish, the professional. But then when they come in, that's where you want to be real people. Yeah. And just be authentic. And um, and we see that in our announcements all the time. You know, Cameron will go up there and and he'll be like, oh, okay, I didn't know I was doing announcements this morning. Here's what we got. And uh, Steve Ortiz will go up there. And Steve's just like this cool cat, right? So he's just, you know, a mellow dude. And he's just, all right, you know, here's what we got going on. And we're doing lunch in the park on this date and blah, blah, blah. But it's it's authentic. And I think if you focus on the authenticity of your service over the polish of your service, you'll have a bigger impact on people. So you will be able to like ingrain your um, DNA into everybody because they don't feel like I, it's a big show. How many absolutely. churches have you gone to where it's a big show and you're like, yeah. dude, everything's got to be squeaky clean. And, you know, then I know I get to get out of here at 1205 because that's when the service is over. You know, it's like. You're right. And, and it, you know, there's that old song by Sting where he talks about the TV preachers and he says, they all look like game show hosts to me. And, you know, it, it's funny because we can, we can like be running this show. I, I mentioned in one of the books I'm writing right now, I said, that's the, the greatest uh, story ever told um, became corrupted into the running the greatest show on earth, you mm. know, and that's, that's what, um, don't steal that listener. Don't say, I know I'm brilliant, but don't steal my stuff. Come on. But, uh, <laughs> no, but you know, it, it is, it's like becomes it. And I think what you said right there, Pete is it's so important, man. And I think it's one of the keys to getting credibility. I mean, we're in an inner city neighborhood and for us to even throw like a really polished service, I'm not saying people in inner cities should just have crap. But I'm, I'm saying that it's just not who they are as people. They don't want a hipster service. They don't want a super highly polished. What is important to them is that people are real and can understand their problems and can hear. 
because it's funny because Pete got told off by someone and <laughs> I know we weren't going to mention it, but um, <laughs> which let's, let's just say this right up front. That's one? not something new getting told off by someone. <laughs> yeah. You're like, which one? But, but the thing is, is that I, I remember reading someone was critical of Pete, some, you know, and, and I remember thinking, and Pete thought the same that, you don't even like, you're not even in the inner city. Like you're not where we are. You're not like, you don't even know what we're dealing with on a regular basis. Like it's cool to be in your ivory tower and to be a self-proclaimed expert on these topics. But the reality is like, we're with these people, Dan, the problems that uh, the people that come to our church, our, our congregation are dealing with are so different. I mean, they're so, so different, um, you know, child protective services, taking their kids. I mean, it's, it's stuff I've never personally had to deal with, um, you know, before I'm not saying that other communities don't deal with this, but, but my point is that what you said about authenticity is such a key, letting people know that you don't care about running the perfect show, that what you care about is God in them is, it's just huge. Like. Pete said in marketing, it's a bit causes people to trust you. Well, it's a leadership thing. It's just a leadership thing. Like you look at Jesus, right? Um, who, who, what did Jesus care about? He goes to the temple. It's all polished. It's all big. It's a moneymaker. It's this. And he turns over the tables and, and he screams out. This was to be a house of prayer for all nations. Again, going back to it, what was his key? What was he pointing at? He's saying, you have made this into a place that keeps people out, right? Mm -hmm. You've got your, your tables, your special temple money, your special sacrifices. People can't come here unless they're rich. And he just goes, this was meant to be a draw where anyone from any nation could come and seek my father. This was a house of prayer for all nations. And you have made it into a den of thieves. And he was, I, I mean, you never see Jesus that angry and he is angry and he's furious. I mean, I, I, you know, always the thing, did he lose his temper? I don't think so. Cause he sat there weaving a, I think he very intentionally turned over those tables in anger, but it was a controlled anger, but it was anger. It yeah. It, and it was a controlled anger because he didn't, uh, he didn't let loose all the birds. Like they had to go chase down all the animals, but they weren't going to lose the animals. If he had like released yeah. all the birds and the doves and the, all that stuff. I mean, yeah. he, he was basically making a point and then they had to go clean everything up. Absolutely. And, and Jesus, you know, it says at that point they were, they determined in their hearts, they would kill him. And, and because he had upset the system, that was the turning point for the, they're like, we got to kill this guy. He's exposing us. He's this, but Jesus was concerned about people and that was it. And that was the difference between Jesus and the religious leaders. And I think if people come to your church plant and it doesn't matter if it's not polished, doesn't matter if you suck. What's really funny is sometimes like I'll talk to a planner is like, dude, we don't have a worship leader. We got mixing, you know, we got like backing tracks, you know? So they're playing like the little ghetto blaster in the corner, you know? Um, and they're singing along. And, and if I were in that situation, I would, I would laugh my butt off at it. I would, I would make it the funniest thing. I'd make jokes about it. I might even like make a dummy worship leader that sits there, just have fun, get the church laughing about it. 
So then like, let them know, Hey, I don't care about this, man. Let's just let God, let's let our voices be the instrument. You know, that's what God wants. It's our heart, you know, and then you're teaching your people about worship. You're actually still hardwiring into the DNA. What matters is those three things we hear from God, God hears from us and we hear from each other. And we could do all that without any of the stuff because after all the early church didn't have that, right? They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have a big band and lights flashing and, you know, glitter falling from the ceiling, all the stuff that, uh, you know, uh, big churches have. You, you don't you don't need that stuff, you know? And we've made it this weird thing. And I think people are hungering for that authenticity. They're hungering. Just let me meet with God. Please get out of the way. Just let me meet with him. Be real. I need to be real with God today. You know? I dig it. I dig it. Well, that's that's all I have to say about that. Guys, constantly sow that vision. That's like Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say on that. <laughs> no, I, I've, I frequently use that, you know. Um, yeah. Fried announcements, fricasseed announcements, boiled announcements. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this should just be the movie line podcast. Later on, someone told me they tried to kill that nice church planner. I don't know why. <laughs> I right. loved Jenny. <laughs> I may not be a smart church planner, but I know what love is, Jenny. Church planning's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Uh, aren't you going to preach, Peyton? I have to go pay right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been the Church Planner Podcast, amusing ourselves and reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music